Why do you suppose I just hurled a chair at your head, Neiman? I, I don't know. Sure you do. The tempo? Were you rushing or were you dragging? I, I don't know. Start counting. Five, six, seven. In four, five. damn it! Look at me! One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Now, was I rushing or was I dragging? No. Count again. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Rushing or dragging? Rushing. So you do know the difference! Welcome into episode 3 of Film Tank. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the 2014 film Whiplash, directed by Damien Chazelle and starring Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons. Um, I am Alex Diegman. I'll be your host today. And on today's episode, we have Nick Cheney with us. You can find him on Twitter at Nick J. Cheney, if I am correct. That is correct. That it, oh, that's good, because I didn't want to tell the listeners something else and then have them find some other Nick Cheney who's full of shit. Especially so. when I'm the best Nick Cheney that existed. So Oh, okay. Well, I'm Sorry. the real Nick Cheney, if you will. I'm glad we got that cleared up. That other voice you hear is Toussaint Her. Wow. The other voice you hear is Toussaint Egan. You can find him on Twitter at the Saint of Toos. Yep. Apparently, <laughs> that's all he's got for us. Yep. That's it. Uh, Kenny Marcellus also again with us today. Hello, Kenny, and you can find him on Twitter at uh, White Limo sixty one. Right. <laughs> that, that is correct. Yes. That that is okay. Very good. And you can find me at Alex underscore Deekman, and I'm proud to spell that. It's D I E C K M A N N. So, if you can't find me because you can't find my last name, you're not the first person. So. Whatever. So, anyways, uh, start off by talk about where you can find us. Um, if you're listening to us on the website at filmtankshow.com, that's great. You can also find us now on iTunes and also Stitcher Radio by searching um, on there for Film Tank and uh, clicking on that. And also on iTunes, if you would like to rate and review our show, and also on Stitcher, that would be greatly appreciated if you did that. You can also find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. So as I mentioned today, we'll be talking about the 2014 film Whiplash, which stars Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons, won three Oscars, including Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role, Best Achievement in Film Editing, and also Best Achievement in Sound Mixing. Uh, give you a kind of an idea of what Whiplash is by the IMDb description. A promising young drummer enrolls at a cutthroat music cons- conservatory, is that right? Mm-hmm. Where his dreams of greatness are mentored by an instructor who will stop at nothing to realize a student's potential. I also, also, also mentioned that we're going to pretty much talk about the film in its entirety today, so I guess we'll be giving spoilers, so... You probably should know at this point what Whiplash is about, and hopefully you've already seen it, but if you'd like to get know more about it and just would want to know an in-depth thing about the film, then listen to what we have to say today. So we'll start, as we uh, usually do, with Nick Cheney. Let's see what you had to think about Whiplash. Well, this was one of my top ten favorite films of last year. Which is pretty impressive, because you saw 3,000 films last year. So. <laughs> I did not see 3,000 films. I saw 72 films that were commercially uh, released in 2014. <laughs> that was a little off. but uh, No, this was in my top ten. Um, 
it's one of those rare films that I would call crowd-pleasing and mean it in a good way because usually a film to succeed at trying to like you know entertain all audiences it's just never good in my book because then that means it's trying to be too broad and likable uh but that's exactly why this does work is because it's centering around two uh two people who are ultimately in my opinion at least not likable and it's just hammering that home but it's in a way it is kind of filtering that through a very kind of thriller uh aspect which you don't normally see in a in this kind of genre when it comes to like musical films uh, Damien Chazelle has said that he wrote this movie as kind of a reaction to all those really saccharine movies like Mr. Holland's Opus and whatnot, uh, where they just have these ridiculous... Yeah, uh, Toussaint loves Mr. Holland's Opus. <laughs> yeah, that so. was quite the reaction, really. Yeah, what? He just shot his eyes like, I love Mr. Holland's Opus. <laughs> no, I, I, I had a joke for that. Sorry. Oh, do you? Yeah. Can we hear it? Let's hear it then. I wanted to wait until my turn. Anyway, continue. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well. okay. Uh, moving on then uh, but no but this was his response to how those movies are basically just kind of you know just trite and like there is no you know, basically that to reinforce that kind of like uh, like oh as long as you just believe in yourself you're gonna get better like that's not what in my opinion even like makes people better or whatever it's that you have the you know you you have the support of others uh <coughs> making you believe in yourself and i feel like in fletcher's uh the teacher's warped way that is what he's doing now that doesn't mean that what he is doing is the right thing to do just because you can do something does not mean that you should well yeah he's doing a lot of verbal abuse and physical abuse towards his yeah. students so so i um so of course we'll talk more about like the ending and some of the more kind of messages of the film but um, it's just one of the most interesting looks at uh, what goes into the musical process and just kind of what it takes to become a great artist. Very well put, sir. So, Toussaint, you can tell us that joke now. So what was it about Mr. Holland's opus you wanted to bring to the table? Well, it's not a funny joke oh, to begin well, with, and it's certainly not funny what the anymore. Fuck, man? I was going to I was gonna call it, like, Whiplash, or otherwise known as Mr. Fletcher's opus, because that's <laughs> immediately what I thought of, like, immediately as, as I was done with the film. Um... I loved it. I thought it was uh, terrifically suspenseful. I was like hanging on the edge of my seat the entire time, waiting for like J.K. Simmons' next explosive outburst. I really liked the um, uh, the playoff between uh, Andrew and Fletcher. I think that's his name. Mm -hmm. Andrew, that's his name. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of other things that I wanted to talk about it too, but I don't know if we're just doing broad strokes right now, like can do whatever you want right now okay so, so if you if you have something more that you'd like to discuss and you're thinking about it right away let's hear it definitely um one thing that i wanted to bring up which was a standout to me and i talked to you about this before after we were done watching the film alex right was um the lighting mm -hmm. i really enjoyed like the, the the lighting direction because it has these um what i wrote down was these blown out oversaturated greens of the outside world that gradually transition into the darker black brown and like gold hues of like Fletcher's world. Mm -hmm. And as it's the, a very darkly lit film, just yeah. in general, there are not a lot of daytime scenes. And even in the daytime scenes, it's given kind of a weird tone to it. Yeah, yeah. Fletcher's music room itself looks like a kind of like a lair just because of how it's lit. Like he doesn't have that many lights on him, which ones that are on are always off to the corner and like a uh, kind of, I would say, dimly lit. Mm hmm. I can I can totally see why this film won for film editing and for sound mixing because like Tom Cross's film editing in tandem with Sharon Mears I believe cinematography is just exceptional like the first 
the first scene that really leapt out to me that this film was just like so lean and well constructed was the one where in the very beginning where Andrew is at the theater right and he's getting a popcorn and a drink from Nicole who's his then future girlfriend on the thing it's this simultaneous cut where it's like her getting the popcorn pouring the drink and snapping the top onto the actual like drink and then handing it to him that was just such a well executed like cut and shot well and i think another part of that 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 individual shot where there there are other shots like that in this film where you would not think of that being a shot that you would include in a film usually because who really cares about her getting the popcorn and getting it prepared but to Andrew at that point in the film, that's all she really was, was the person who worked at the popcorn stand. Yeah. So it kind of made sense. And it was a very nice descript shot that you normally wouldn't think you would see in a film. It was definitely taking a page out of the Darren Aronofsky playbook. Have you ever seen Requiem for a Dream? Yeah. That's those quick cuts of the With most... With the eye movie. dilating. and Yeah, or even when she goes to get coffee in that movie, like it just it goes doop, 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 because it's like setting up this rhythm. So actually, that's why I think it, like you said, is... In this movie, when even when he's uh, going to get like popcorn, everything is kind of on a rhythm with him, and he's just always keeping tempo, and he doesn't process like what happens is in the space between. Not my tempo. <laughs> yeah, he's he's trying to always keep tempo. We'll put it that way. Right. Fletcher, although there are some cool parts in the film that we can get more into about that. I think the other students think that Fletcher is kind of full of shit some of the time when he says certain things, but we'll get more to that later. Kenny, what did you feel about this overall? I know you just saw it for the first time. Um, this past weekend, and what did you feel about this film? I absolutely love this movie. Um, I, I'm trying to distinguish the fact that I just saw it from how I really feel about it. I don't want to overreact to it, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like given that it's been four days, it's been ample amount of time now. But I'd be willing to say, like Nick, you said, this might be in your top ten of last year. This not only in my top 10 all time, this is one of my favorites. So I would maybe put this in my top five and I'd be willing to wager the fact that maybe this has got a lot to do with the fact that I have a musical background Hmm. and some of the anxiety shown by the musicians when you've got somebody standing over you and demanding perfection out of you. um, That's, that's tough. I, I I can relate to it. I know exactly where they're coming from. I know the feeling. Um, many times I caught myself watching the movie. Like, Is that me? Well, no. <laughs> no. It, although it did make me miss playing because I haven't played musically for a while. Yeah. It, it's been some time, but it, it did kind of uh, motivate me to want to start playing again. But um, no, I would, I would sit there and, and there were times where my palms would be sweaty just watching because I can relate so much to that character and, and what they're going through. But there were uh, there were messages that came from this from from Fletcher that uh, were were very powerful to me. I, I took a lot from this movie and the fact that he was a very motivated, very determined, very he he, he knew what he wanted out of the exact situation. Um, but I, I don't know. It, it was inspiring to me in the sense that I could take away more than just this wasn't just him trying to get the best out of the, his musicians. This was the, the message I took from it could also be um, you could apply it to anything. No matter what you're doing in life, don't settle for good job. Don't let. So I, there was actually a quote in the movie where he, he, told, he told Andrew when they were at this bar. He said the two most 
damaging words in the English language are good job. That's the entire thesis of the film. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what I was thinking. Not only is this great if you're sitting there watching as a, as a musician or, or, or what have you, but you can apply this to anything in life. Whatever you're doing, don't half-ass it. Just, just go for it. Do it. Go all the way. And don't ever settle for good enough. Especially when you have a guy throwing a chair at you. Right. <laughs> Well, this is kind of, I guess, a jumping off point to the first thing that I want to talk about this film, because I also love this film. Um, I, would, I wouldn't put it in my all-time favorites, but it is in my top ten from last year. It's actually sitting right now comfortably at number seven, I believe, on my list from last year, which I saw over 50 films. So I love this film. I think it's a great film, and a lot of the character traits from not only Fletcher and Andrew, but other um, supporting characters, including Nicole and um, Miles Teller's father, who's played by Paul Reiser. I feel like there are a lot of interesting characters, not just the main two characters, who are obviously the most important characters in the film, but a lot of traits that all the other characters bring, I really enjoy. The one kind of, I wouldn't say problem, but something about this film that I always get a little stuck on is I feel like this film has a little bit of a mixed message in the end, which I feel like some people would disagree with my feeling on that. But I feel like this film almost condones Fletcher's um, kind of his his way about he goes about things because it says Andrew eventually got to the place where he was going to be and he would not have gotten there if it was not for Fletcher. When you say the way he goes about things, you mean as, as far as his instructing? Yes. His in, in, emotional and physical in, in, in abuse. In far, in far, as far as his... Vulgarity. and Well, and, and his forcing him to go to a place that he would not have gone to without that. And I feel like, at least for me, I feel that you don't need to be a physically and emotionally abusive person to get someone to be great at something. But maybe, maybe... Maybe you do, but I, to the level where Fletcher goes in this film, I don't think that you need to be that person. But at the end of the film, we see Miles Teller in the terrific final scene of this film deliver an all-time great drumming performance. Pretty much the performance of his life. Yes. And we see Fletcher just blown away by this. And you really see that student teacher become all Fletcher sitting on top of Andrew to getting almost on an equal level even to a point where Andrew is almost on top of Fletcher and is can control oh, him yeah. at that point. I wouldn't even call it close to equal because I, for me at least, I always took the Fletcher as a very pathetic figure. I don't mm-hmm. think he, he of course knows how to play these instruments and whatnot, but like he says, any idiot can conduct. So I think it's very telling that one of the final images of the film during Andrew's is perf- him conducting, not only just conducting, but just the way he's moving his fingers and he just, looking at Andrew the whole time, it, it's true. Like he has no purpose to be on that stage mm-hmm. other than that. He can claim that, you know, he made these students who they are and that kind of a thing. Kenny, you wanted to mention something. Go, go well, right ahead, now, please. Now I have two points to make okay. uh, to your point, Alex. Uh, I, I would argue that while you maybe don't feel that you need an instructor of that caliber to succeed, some people do. And when it comes to, playing musical instruments and being in a band it is by choice and nobody's making those musicians stay in his room in his band and but, but i feel like that that almost only goes to a certain point as he was like slapping people and yelling yeah. at them and and belittling but their they yelled at the one trombone kid and like intimidated him but about he, he like he wasn't not just being belittling his playing he was also talking about his childhood and mm-hmm. his parents and saying how horrible yeah, of this, people they were this and, is true this is true however 
nobody was in that band because they were forced to be there. They were but, there because they knew how top notch he was. And so when you when you realize that you're and, and this can apply to, to sports or you know I'm I'm blanking at the moment. But if you're if you play sports and, and you just and, and you realize that the coach that you have I mean this applies like with football. Like if you've got a coach that is a lot stricter uh, a lot more outspoken, a lot more vocal, and will yell at you and, and get in your face and, and push you and push you and push you. That, so, that works for some people. It doesn't work for some people. But. However, you, you, you've you um, alluded to the thing where you're saying they are there by choice, which, again, I, I agree with you that they are there. They want to learn from him. Fletcher is obviously a great music teacher. I don't think anyone's doubting that he has the talent to be a great music teacher. At the same time, that doesn't just because they're choosing to be there doesn't give him the right to completely destroy some of the. I mean, well, not the, only that. The, the guy with the trombone player, like he probably what like is depressed and is going to spend the rest of his life cowering somewhere, working at some shitty job because his life was torn down by Fletcher for the most part. Well, yeah, but that, that actually brings up what I wanted to talk about, which is that I in no way think that this film does condone Fletcher's behavior because okay. um, it completely lays out that okay. Andrew is one student in his class, okay? And that's probably, really, when you think about it, one student in the history of his teaching career. So just because one person it worked on, that does never, ever justify the idea that he should do it to anybody else. And so therefore, he shouldn't do it at all because if you're going to destroy the lives of 99 out of every 100 people you meet, then what you're doing is wrong. But and the Matt's film also, also says if he hadn't acted that way with Andrew, Andrew probably would not have been as good of a drummer as he was in the final scene. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that the film itself is uh, condoning Fletcher's behavior because Andrew is one player. And not only that, but going let's go back to the middle of the movie when you find out that he had a previous student and he went down the same exact road that uh, Andrew could possibly go down. Uh, what did that student do? He committed suicide because of the t- uh, emotional turmoil uh, that he uh, Fletcher had been inflicting on him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't understand how if you have the presence of a, a student literally killing himself uh, in the wake of Fletcher's teacher, how you think that the film would actually be condoning Fletcher's behavior. I have a reaction to that. Okay. I actually have a reaction to um, both your points, Nick and Alex. Like, Alex, you were talking about the emotional abuse of Fletcher on his students and how it could like push kids like the trombone kid to like exit out of the class like there was even a joke later on where um one of the drumming understudies I can't remember his name mm-hmm. where like it, it, it was a joke that he went on to go on to pre-med because it was a lot less stressful yeah <laughs> I was just like I, I was cracking up on that um and going back to what you were saying about you're not thinking that this um that this movie necessarily condones that because of can you reiterate that that point one more time well basically because andrew is one person and he is affecting so many students a day and the film clearly shows that this does have damaging effects so just because there are more than one way to skin a cat does not mean that you should use the most violent way to do it okay but there is one line where fletcher does like confront the fact of that kid's death and then sort of like peripherally like like sideline like makes an excuse for it oh. where, 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 he's, where he's talking about is like well what about the kids who give up 
And I was just like, well, the real so-and-so would never give up. Yeah. It's yeah. like, but, but I would, would... that's not him giving up on either. That's him killing himself. Because he gave of... up? He's a quitter? Okay. I, I would well, argue, I would argue this. Debate, I, mean. I, I would argue that's what this. That's with Fletcher. I'm speaking from the... Yeah. Okay. There are many points in this movie where everybody's aware of Fletcher and, and the character that he is and that he's intimidating and overpowering and very, very... When you say everybody, I just want to make sure... The students. Say, the, the, okay, because clearly nobody outside of these classes the do know, and that's why it's yeah, allowed to and, happen. And I feel like, and I'm not trying to get away from what you were going to say, but I feel like he's just one of those people who you hear about people like this in the real world where things are protected in that world of that music school, and then when it becomes public knowledge, there's outcry of that because people are like, wait a minute, this guy is... Well, ruining people's lives hold for the on, most part. Hold on, because the point I'm trying to make is the students, the musicians in this film that are constantly competing for the satisfaction or the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Validation. The validation of Fletcher, thanks. Um, they know damn well beforehand what they're getting into. They're all aware of Fletcher. Well, and, 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 beforehand though? Because right. he had no idea when he sat down in the chair for the very first practice that... No, he but was going to be that very first practice was not for the band. He was just playing in that other band that he was in. No, I know. I'm talking about the first practice of the actual. Gym, oh, okay. You know. Well, okay. So, so the movie opens. The, the opening scene. He's playing the drums. Yeah. Fletcher comes in the room. He has no fucking idea who Fletcher is. He knows who. No, he, he, does. Does. he definitely okay. knows who he is. Well, he did it on purpose. He, okay. So he, he know who he really is. But the point is. Most of these musicians have experienced Fletcher to an extent, and they know damn well what kind of person he is, yet they constantly, constantly are striving to become a core member of Fletcher's band. Why? Because they know damn well how good Fletcher is it's and how of, far they will push. It's kind of a form of Stockholm Syndrome, almost, where you like you, you want to... Uh, it's not like you're, they're, they're giving an excuse to like Fletcher's behavior, but like you get so drawn into the vacuum of his personality and of his his explosive temper and well, his and his, and his Tucson, why is that though it's because they know how great he is i don't think they, that that like it's entirely like i i i see where you're coming from and i know that it's like every single kid walked into that classroom because they wanted to be in fletcher's class but i don't think they understood like the extent to what it means to be in Fletcher's class. My argument, though, would be what what keeps them there once they're there. What because keeps actually, them there? that's Fear. what I was gonna go. Is that you were saying that they were there by choice? Okay, obviously they are making a choice to be a musician and to go to this school, but the school is literally not offering them another, shall we say, like great uh, conductor. Like they're saying, if you want to be in the best band, you have to be with Fletcher. And we're it's very clear that the like the administration and whatnot are not paying attention to Fletcher's methods very in depth because that's what the whole uh, there's a scene later on in the film where it's very it goes into how much apparently nobody really knew what he was doing. So I just really quickly want to say while they do not uh, while they are making the choice to show up every day to practice, that is true. What is their alternative to just not become uh you know, because they need his validation because I'm sure he'll be the one that will actually get him into these concerts and to uh, kind of pass him off to these bigger higher ups because he has these connections. What is their other choice if they're not making a choice? Well, and another thing, and they try to sh- in the film, Damien Chazelle shows this with the trombone player and his belittling of him. <laughs> Mets? You're talking about Mets? The- yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. There, no, that's okay. There was, a, there was a line with with the trombone player. His name was Metz. I wrote it down because I loved what he said to him so much, and it, and it plays into the fact that he 
Fletcher is such an intimidating character. You you notice that nobody even can make eye contact with him, and 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 as Metz was, he thought playing out of tune. As it turned out, Fletcher was proving a point. He wasn't out of tune at all, but he singled out Metz and had him play, and and demanded that he tell him if he was in tune or not. And Metz kind of was talking down to the floor, and he and that and was he even said worse him, that he didn't know. He said <laughs> to him, "There's no fucking Mars bar down there. What the fuck are you looking at?" Like. This is the kind of person that that Fletcher was, and and yes, Metz took the brunt of it, left the classroom, and and, and yeah, was never seen again. Right. right, yeah. So did that make that right though? Because okay, so he just ruined that child's life. So just because this effective, uh, this uh, shall well, we say, method worked on Andrew. I Andrea. think it's unfair to say that he ruined his life okay, because okay, that but, character never played out. He left the room. For all you know, the kid just could have said, you know what. It's not worth my time to be there. That's that's the point I'm trying I, but, to make. But, but here, here's going back to that, though. We, I, I, as a person, we don't know anything about the character, so you can't assume anything with him. But knowing how people are and people taking that sort of punishment from something like that, I think there's a good chance he went and put his trombone away and never played music again. Let me tell a really quick story. I know we probably shouldn't share anecdotes on here, but I just, <laughs> well, I just want to show you okay. an example of how human psychology works on when somebody tells you no. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, uh, the band day came where like the, uh, I want to say the middle schoolers and the high schoolers or something like that came to our elementary school mm-hmm. and all introduced the entire class to the various instruments one can play in band when they get to sixth grade. And you basically get to pick out which one you want to try or whatever mm-hmm. when i when the when they came to my classroom uh, with their music teacher um i started looking around and i went over to the instrument i wanted to play which was saxophone and i was told by the teacher and i had been actually wanting because i had been hearing about how this day was kind of come up and whatnot and when i walked over to the saxophone the teacher told me that i was too short to play it and i should go over by the clarinet table now I'm not saying that she was obviously being like emotionally abusive or something like that. But when you're at an impressionable state, as far as you want to learn more and you want to be better and you want to go, oh, you can't learn that. Well, I know, and so (laughs) I never. Basically, I will admit to this day, as much as I wanted to play band, that was a very formative, uh, shall we say, moment in my life that completely made me decide that I was never going to pick up a band instrument. Can I offer one rebuttal, real quick, to that? Before that moment, was saxophone something that you? passionately wanted to pursue. I mean, I was only in fifth grade, so obviously right. like, passion doesn't really but, exist at that state. But Right. Yeah. But to my point, in this film, Andrew is, I'm going to say... He's already been drumming for a couple 20s. of years. Yeah. He's been pursuing this. Right. He's been pursuing this. Now, when you really, really want something and you're going for it, and somebody, no matter how bad the criticism is, knocks you down... The point this movie is trying to make is you never, ever take no for an answer. If you want it bad enough, okay. you take that and you use it as motivation. But Andrew is only one character in the film, and there are other. I'm sure there are other people who were in the band who have never played instruments again following being in Fletcher's class. Okay, so this cat's cradle of... of... <laughs> of an argument about whether it or not it's inspiring or abusive, like really kind of like dovetails into the um, the argument and the, the, the divide on the reaction for the final scene of the film. And I'm going to ask this rhetorical question. You guys can answer whatever or not. Do you think that... Do you think that Fletcher cares about Andrew? I don't think that... Fletcher cares about Andrew. I think that before that scene, 
that Fletcher wanted to bury Andrew because he was humiliated of, of having been um, expelled from the school that he had right. built his entire reputation out of. The reason why I think that Fletcher is a sociopath, I really do. I think that the reason that like you could argue is like, oh, but he cried because that kid hanged himself. I don't think he cried because that kid took his own life. I think that kid cried. I think Fletcher cried because he had sunk all of that work into that one kid, and that kid was now dead. And he wanted people to know that he was a great musician, but now he has to start over. I have a, I have a response to that. Okay. <laughs> so in the scene where Fletcher has been relieved of his duties from okay. the school, and he's playing in the bar in a band himself, mm-hmm. and Andrew just kind of stumbles upon it and yeah. sees him, uh, and then he, they, they have the, the conversation, they, they, they sit down, they have a drink about it, and Fletcher proceeds to tell him a story about a musician. I believe it was the musician from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Charlie the, Parker story. The, yeah, yeah, the Charlie Parker. That's, that's he's he built his entire career and his life around that Charlie Parker story. He told Andrew that he had never had a Charlie Parker. He right? wanted that. He always wanted it, right. but never had it. Now, I took that, and I felt it played out through the end of the film that he was, at that point, I feel he did care about Andrew because he took that and he presented it to Andrew in a way that made him say, you know what, I've, I've asked you to play, I, I've put you in as a core member in the band, I, I, I've given you multiple opportunities, yet you still were never that Charlie Parker. That was his way of telling Andrew, you're still not done, you're still not progressing as a musician. But and the- then at the end, in the, in the very final scene, he finally gave him that satisfaction of knowing you know what? Because and this, I'm only gonna draw this strictly from 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 playing in bands myself. There there are ways where, as a musician on stage, when you're in front of an audience and you can't literally talk to another musician, there are ways of communicating through eye contact. As dumb as this seems, you can communicate with somebody that you know well enough in ways. Of, there there was a moment where I realized that Fletcher was was giving Andrew the Okay, yes, this is this is what I've been trying to push you for, and you're 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 I, knocking it out of the park. I can't I can't really agree with that because the setup for that scene, like I, as as rapturous as the finale of that is, you can't forget the setup and the context of how that actually came about because he they were at the bar, they left out, and Fletcher asked Andrews like, "Hey, this one guy who plays drums, he just can't cut it." So I want you to go into it. And right before they they go onto the stage, what does he say to the entire band? He says, hey, look at all those guys out there. This could either make or break you. Any one of those guys could call Blue Note. And that's a big deal. Blue Note is like one of the most prestigious like like blues, jazz, like record labels of all time. And he purposely put that kid there because and, – and he tells him, it was like, I know it was you. He puts him out there in order to critically and to professionally destroy him. So, That's what he does. He didn't do that because he thought that the kid would rise to the so occasion. You're, you're referring to the fact that he opened the show with a song that he knew Andrew didn't know. Yeah. Right. Okay, here's my point to that. As a musician, the absolute utmost top level of performance you can possibly ever be at is performing improvi- uh, under- improvisationally. Improvisationally. He knew damn well that if 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 Andrew and as crazy as this sounds, he knew that if if Andrew could get behind that drum kit and and perform improving with the rest of that band and make it sound good, 
knocked it out of the park. And what did he do? Well, he performed horribly with it. That no. was, that was, yes, he did. Yeah. No, 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 he did perform he horribly. Did. No, he got, yeah. Here's the thing: the audience didn't know the song. Nobody knows the song. It's a no. brand new song. Nobody knows how. There, it's there was to an go. awkward crickets at the end of the song, yeah. and then there that, was but the, literally the. I, I know they're not the audience, but the guy too is right. Goes, what the fuck are you doing? Because <laughs> yeah, it sounded <laughs> so bad that it merited him commenting. But, but when can I, a, a, when Andrew comes running back to the stage then and just starts playing out of nowhere. And pretty much gives Fletcher the fuck you eyes yeah. and just keeps on playing. Right. Can I say Go something ahead. really quick? Yes. Okay, I want to play double uh, advocate against Toussaint. Okay. Uh, if he wasn't trying to push uh, Andrew to give the, shall we say, to become the Charlie Parker, uh, you know, of his tenure, then um, why wasn't there another drummer? Why was there not another drummer? Because he specifically wanted to single Andrew so out. Okay, so I'm just saying, but like a person like Fletcher would not have had another drummer there to like kind of obviously stay. I just thought it's a very interesting no. detail that nobody comes to that chair and it just looks so awkward and yet so purposeful as far as they didn't even have one line of dialogue to point out that in the case of Andrew failing, so There's and so no Johnny understudy. Utah, literally the other guy, would be sitting in the wings and it was going to be a very even better fuck you moment to him. So continuing on with that final scene, which is... It's it's the scene one of the scenes of the film that has led to a lot of this discussion that we've had in the show so far today. Um, the the moment in that scene where Andrew almost overtakes Fletcher and becomes the higher the higher person in the group because Fletcher is always dominating the relationship. He's always on top. And there's a small moment that I'm sure you would catch it if you saw the film, but it, you easily could miss it. But I noticed the first time I saw the film, and I noticed it again this time, when the symbol falls down off of Andrew's drum kit, and Fletcher slowly puts it up right back there mm-hmm. and puts it exactly into position and is pretty much serving Andrew at that point, which is, is in a, it's an amazing... Yes, 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 he, yes, really, he is. Is he yeah. really serving Andrew, or is, yes. he, or is he serving his own no. latent desire to create a Charlie Parker and be the no, guy who I, discovered I, the see, next Charlie but Parker? Here, here, here's my problem with your sociopath argument with, um, with uh, Fletcher. I feel like he, for the most part, hates himself, too. Like, he does not... Yeah. Believe no, you don't think so? I no, I don't think he hates himself. I think the point is he loves himself too much because he's got this uh, disillusionment of like what he's doing. Like, okay, he says things like, uh, I know not everybody agrees with my methods or whatever, but right. he's doing all of this because he thinks so highly of himself that he is apparently capable of so saving jazz. But I feel his... like he, he, f- it, it's not himself because I think he already believes that he is not a amazing musical player he he wants he wants to find somebody who is that amazing and be a part of them becoming that amazing he wants to be a part of that yes yeah but it's not a self-loading thing he's just recognizing that he's like got to be what 50 something years old so he's not going to just break into this business anymore the same way that he can ride somebody else's coattails by becoming a teacher and literally having all the prospects he could choose from i mean i don't know i don't get the sense of self-loathing especially because I feel like the suicide of the first kid, um, him reacting. Now, I'm not saying that that means that he was having a genuine, like, oh, I'm so sad for this kid, you know, whatever. I do think that was actually a very self-serving moment as well because he's crying because um, I do think he's a little in denial about the psychological turmoil. What do you guys take away from the fact that there were multiple points in this movie where when he was outside of the music room, Having who, a, who are we talking about? Fletcher. Here? Sorry. Okay. When Fletcher was outside the music room and he was having a conversation little with, girl. with the little girl, talking about the past student that passed away. 
Oh, he re- was—he was a very you- outside, like away from music. He was a very normal, very level-headed, very down-to-earth person. You but- remember my reaction? Oh, when we I had the that, same right? exact reaction where he's like, "Oh, when you get old enough, come play my band." I'm like, "No, don't stay do away. it. He's the devil. Don't do it." <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I just thought it was interesting that as long as I, he wasn't... I don't think that meant he was a normal person. I feel like that made him even more psychotic because he was able to keep these two personalities separate so that way neither party would be able to... Sorry. Um, would be able to, uh, you know, notice... Obviously, he, he puts up a front so that way like people like the little girl or presumably the adults in that situation, so like the father that he was talking to, would not catch on to the idea that the minute he goes back into that back room, he's destroying everybody I took this, Bruce Banner becomes the Hulk exactly. in the I, other room. I took this as he wasn't so much trying to hide anything so much as that his passion for music just absolutely overwhelmed him and overtook him as a person and as, as, as a regular guy without music he's normal but as soon as you put him in the mix with music it's it's like seeing red when you're in a fight like you well, just if that was true here's my rebuttal against that when he's, especially in the first practice, okay, when you look at his methods, there are things he is doing in that practice that are horrible that he's doing for the betterment of music. And then there are things, in my opinion at least, that are completely crossing the line where he starts to use uh, people's insecurities against them. When he takes Andrew out of the classroom and Andrew hasn't played yet, which I think he's done purposely, so that way he just lets him rest and kind of stew in this uh, tr- trepidation and intimidation of having to play when he comes back. Mm-hmm. He literally goes to have a conversation with him, and he pretends like he's a nice person. But that, that the whole point of that conversation was so he could find out things he could use against right. Andrew. That's, that's mm-hmm. what I was about to say. Yeah. Right. So that he pretends like he's a nice person, so that way he will figure out every single talking point he will then go to use against him in the middle of this pub, very public forum. I mean, it's not public too, obviously everybody outside the building. Well, and re- really quick, kind of going off what you were talking about, about his pretending he's a nice person and everything, I feel like that almost plays Fletcher's character off like he's a pimp almost like that. He's <laughs> showing he's showing the people the nice side and what they could have if they do this, and then all of a sudden, he if turns on them. Be better. He turns on them and breaks them down and breaks them until they are what he wants them to be. That's a very interesting uh, comparison. I'm just picturing Harvey Keitel from Tarzan. I, I Driver. just took away a, a totally different point from this, I guess, in the fact that I, I didn't see any of this manipulating kind of. Really? What? That's no, literally no, no, the no, no, entire no. message. I can see how you would take it that way, but I didn't take it that way. I took it literally as if I was a musician and this was my instructor, I, I could totally understand how he was using this and and rightfully so you need to have thick skin to handle somebody like this well but, there's a difference between having thick skin and just basically should being able to enjoy the right to pursue your passion without basically yep, being but, told that you're like the my, worst human in thick skin right. and breaking my, my calluses point, on your palms my point is this as a, as a and i hate to keep saying this but as a former musician Every time he would return back to Fletcher and want another opportunity... Did somebody beat you at bad practice? <laughs> no. No, I'm just saying. I, I used to have a very strong passion for being a musician. And, and every time Andrew would return back to his classroom after being beaten down into nothing, I was, in my mind, I was cheering him on. I was thinking, yes, absolutely. I would do the same thing. And it was Fletcher motivating him with this 
you could call it mental abuse, but if you don't allow it to be mental abuse, make it motivation. Okay, but um, Andrew's character becomes a horrible person throughout the entirety of he this film. He becomes Fletcher. Yes. yes. That is the well, only reason on. why it's Define, define just, just humor me. Define horrible person. Okay, I, I'm not saying he's a horrible person like he's out murdering people, but he ruins all the relationships in his, in his life. He is not able to carry on a normal conversation. Now, I'm not saying that he... That the other people having the conversation in a great scene when they are in the dining room with oh, his cousins. So oh, it is. And so I'm rooting him on saying, you know what? He should be talking shit about them because they're just Division Three football players and whatever. But at the same time, I feel like Andrew at the very beginning of the film would not have talked like that. Like he, oh, yeah. That scene comes directly after his first practice with Fletcher. Right. There, yeah. there is a, a confidence about him, which it, to be good at anything, you need immaculate confidence to be able to know that you are great at doing that but i feel like you need to find a way to translate that from when you're doing that activity to being in real life which he was not able to do throughout the film mm. so i i guess i'm still not seeing it, it was a definitely an air of well, confidence that he well, made wait, throughout wait, wait, the wait. movie but the, where's the, the horrible person the, the, the scene the scene when he breaks up with his All girlfriend right. is basically okay, the transition this. of him going from a pretty you know everyday person you, to a person who cares more about what they're doing than having a full life is every single person you know in a relationship with somebody they're not but does that make them horrible people wait no wait, wait, i don't wait, think wait, that's wait, what he's wait, saying wait, 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 no, no no no, no he... i'm trying to make a point go ahead answer okay. but but what when we're, we're talking about a film that is that is trying to relay messages about characters mm-hmm. and when they do certain things in films that is the filmmaker trying to convey a message about what their character is being. I get that it's a film, but you think there aren't real-life musicians let's, out there who are independent, not in relationships? Let's talk about their first date and how that sets the tone for what happens when they finally break up, okay? So they're sitting there. This is before... I think this is before um, Andrew goes into his first thing with Fletcher, right? It's it's when... It's right, I believe, and I could be wrong. It's right after he finds out he's going to be yeah, in that yeah, band. Yeah, yeah. He, sit- he has... An ultimate confidence that yeah. he can go talk to this girl that he's been thinking about liking. They're, and he has not been emotionally abused yet. <laughs> they're sitting there in the deli. And they're talking about their goals and all the other things that they're doing, right? And she's... And Nicole is talking about, well, I'm not sure what I'm going into right now. It's like I'm, I'm just kind of like figuring that out right now. As many freshmen and sophomore and even junior, like college students are doing at the same time as many 27 year old college graduates are doing (laughs) exactly yeah it's like but they're still able to form a connection out of that and it's only until like no actually i think that was the first sign that he may not be as shall we say straight laced as he looks Mm -hmm. because he has a i would say an air of uh arrogance yes as far as like what kind of a person doesn't know what they want to do like it's totally okay for an individual to be determined but he was judging her i have goals and greatness and you're just not living up to that so i'm just gonna leave you. right he, he and then he crawls back to her at the end trying to like get her to invite her to the the thing that was yeah. another great part of the film where she is a oh, character she is a character does not conform to the ideas of what a female should be just going back to the male character and basically saying I've found somebody that I'm happier with, so you Damn can go straight. fuck yourself. <laughs> okay. um, Kenny, I want to go back to, I'm, I'm going to try to prove a little bit more uh, about how bad of a person I think this uh, Andrew character is. I, now, I think Fletcher brings out the worst in him, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like if he never met Fletcher, he would be a much more tolerable person. But look at uh, the, I want to say, the kind of midpoint of the film where 
they do the second competition, not the first one where he really rises to the challenge and wins, but the second one in which he uh, very late to the performance and then he drops his sticks back at the car rental, you know, and he's just on edge and whatnot. What does he say to his own classmate? Like, he's not a teacher, so he is in no way um, supposed to be, uh, shall we say, teaching the other students or disciplining them. What does he say when Fletcher tells him, like, oh, you're not going to, you know, play on my part. I'm going to have him right. do it. And Fuck then, that guy. Yeah, well, no, no, but and then all of a sudden, um, what I want to think, oh, and then he said, no, I'm going to do that part, and he argued with them, and then he goes, no, it's my part to give, and then all of a sudden, the other person uh, who he's going to give, he literally turns around me while that guy starts to speak, and he goes, fuck you, uh, John, John Utah, Utah. Turn, yeah. turn my pages, bitch. I mean, that is that is just an excessive language to use. That, there's a difference between being determined and, unfortunately, what Fletcher is turning I, him into, which yeah. is a bad person. Okay, uh, okay. So there, there are elements. And, where... and to, to answer your question of what you were asking me, I don't mean to cut you off, Kenny. No, you did. Yeah, okay, you did. okay. I, I did mean <laughs> to cut you off ahead. in that instance because I wanted to answer a question that you said before where in the, in the real world and not this, I believe there are great musicians that are able to either A, have relationships with people and B, not have relationships with people and they're, they're, then they can still be good people even if they don't have relationships with either sexual relationships or friendships with people if they just want to play music that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a horrible person but i feel andrew towards the end of this film does become a horrible person in my mind being in a relationship or not though doesn't prove anything to to him being a, a terrible person no and i think the breakup scene is not because he's saying that like Oh, I we shouldn't be together because of these whatever. The the reason why he comes off as a bad person during that scene is because he's initiating a breakup and then he's speaking for the other person. Like that's a there's an arrogance right. to 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 that to for him to say, listen, right. I know exactly what's gonna happen and you can't possibly know this because I'm smarter and more determined than you and so therefore I decide we're going to break up and that's how it's going to be. So I feel like Toussaint, you brought up earlier mm-hmm. Fletcher being this kind of self-absorbed, uh, obsessed with himself and how other people are gonna are, yes. are viewing him. Yes. If anything, Andrew is that person because right, they're two sides of the same right. coin. He's well, making another Fletcher. Andrew is realizing that in the future, in order to be the best, which he's striving for, there's there's no way he's gonna have time for Nicole. There's just there's just no way, mm-hmm. and so he's. He's actually doing, I felt, a pretty honorable thing. And I'm only saying this because I literally have broken up with girlfriends because of being a musician. And Gotta you, play that guitar, man. Well, <laughs> hey, here's the thing. Being in a band, it's it's a time-consuming, yeah. dedicated kind of thing where you just don't have, you don't always have somebody who's going to be that lenient with you and give you that, you know, Okay, you go spend as much time as you need with the band mm-hmm. and practicing by yourself and all that. He he cut it clean before he dragged her through the mud with well, a shitty relationship. That also relationship. means he cut it clean before he actually gave her a chance, which somehow means that he knows more about her than she knows about but herself. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I'm only speaking again as a musician. There there's there's no there's no fucking chance for the girlfriend. There's just not. As as a no well, no, no, no you taking... guys are giving me this look, but if you can if you find somebody good on you who is if you find somebody who's gonna let you commit to that kind of time yeah. being in a band and i'm not saying a band that's just gonna be like for fun or a hobby or play weddings or something mm-hmm. when you're pursuing at the level of passion that andrew is pursuing 
She never had a chance. I, I guarantee I, it. She, I, I disagree. But, but it, it, at, the beginning, at the beginning of the film, when he still is wanting to pursue this, he wants to be involved with her in a relationship. And right. then he goes to the, the point where he believes that he cannot go to that point without being in a relationship it's, with it's her. It's one of those that seems great on paper until reality strikes. Okay. And then but he realizes even if, it's... Even if he's... Okay. But doing... I, I guess it's more the way he does it. Yeah, that... I was going to say... Has, has, has yeah. nobody in here ever had a shitty excuse for breaking up with a girlfriend? I mean, it happens. <laughs> well, it's... it's not so much that it's a shitty excuse, but he doesn't let her talk. He speaks for her the entire time. And then he basically... Like, like I said, he has this air of like, I know better than you. Shut up, baby. I know it. Yeah, and um, he, I don't know, it's just like, it's you don't, even if that's what he thinks, there could have been a much nicer way to do it, and the fact that he doesn't choose the nicer way is because he now has this air of arrogance, confidence, whatever you want to call it, that Fletcher is instilled to him, that there are subhumans, and then there is Andrew and Fletcher, and Charlie, the Charlie Parker, Parker's, yeah. um, and it's, they're the ones of the world that need to dictate how the rest of the people are going to act, and it's just, it's, I just, it's... It, it's, un- it's did unfortunate. Fletcher, like, hand him, like, a copy of, like, Ayn Rand off screen or something like that? I was like, man, I could totally get down with this guy. It's like, fuck, man. It's, it's unfortunate, but I feel like most people in life who reach the top level of what they're striving for, I, I hate to say it, and, and I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I feel like more people that get to that point you would find in person are probably that person. They're cutthroat. They don't. They don't care but that mean about that who they stepped on to get to that but point. You, you also doesn't... you also see a lot of people who make it to the pinnacle, whether it be sports or whatever, and they say it was because of the support of my family and friends that right. I was able to make it here. I, I'm not saying everybody. No, I'm, I'm not. But I'm, I'm I'm also saying it's not out of the ordinary for this to happen. Whether or not, like you think that Fletcher's methods, like if you think if you think that the 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 what was it if you if you think that the the result justifies the means of his of his methods and it's like i will make this one concession it's like if you're really good at something like if you're innately good at something people are more likely to say is like good job right and over time as people keep on telling you good job those people who are innately good on on that one trait you've known them before people who are good at math people are good at writing people are good at music people are good at sports or anything like that they will internalize within themselves that no matter what they do it's good enough and so they don't really push themselves to the extent of which they can actually be the very best of themselves and that's a disservice i think to not only everyone else around them but also to themselves because they never reach their pinnacle so are you making so a you, point for fletcher i am because that's... i am playing i am playing a devil's advocate in this part it was like i don't know if it was appropriate from fletcher's point of view but i think that maybe that is the case if somebody is really, really good at something, that you cannot let them become complacent in their in in their innate skill, because then they will never reach the extent of that skill. Oh well, there's a difference between uh, not letting somebody become complacent and slapping them. Across yeah, the exactly. Face. Yes, I, I, I totally I mean, agree. There's a, there's there's just a line, and I just feel like uh, you like. I, I I guess so. I want to know. Do you think this kind of thing should be actual practices in music no. schools? Okay. Well, no, I. I, I love this about this film because it provokes such a uh, a lively debate about well, like the nature of like, how do you groom groom well, greatness. Here, here's the thing: the way it was portrayed in the film, uh, and it's no like this shouldn't be common practice That's in, what I in school. But if somebody, if Fletcher wanted to go out and literally start his own fight club, 
his his music fight club. If you wanted to go become an instructor that people paid to take lessons from, there would be no shortage of people lining up wanting to play in his band is what I'm saying. Mm. While it wasn't good for school, even though it wasn't mandated because it's a school thing and it's optional. Yeah, that's Fletcher's, the thing is, I think they're actually held there as prisoners because he's in the school. I don't think anybody would well, line that, up Well, that's what I'm saying. There's a bit right. of a gray area with the Nobody's school Nobody's going to choose to go to him if they don't have a choice. I beg to differ. Huh. Now, and I'm only saying this because while this may not be what would work for you or you or you, I would sign up for somebody like this, me personally, because why? Because it would push me and it would well, drive me to, to become the best I can be. And there's debates for people like that in a lot of fields. Like if you look at personal trainers, there are personal trainers who people only get motivated when someone is telling them, get your fat ass up and start moving. And for some people that works great. And for other people, it just doesn't. And I think that's kind of the problem. Right, but with, that's like but, a medical thing. Like when you're literally, well, I'm just saying like when you are, there's a difference between using this to get to creative artistry and expression and yet using this well, to try to actually... What he's saying is uh, as a personal trainer, say you go to the gym and sign up. I would do the same with a personal trainer at no, my I'm just gym. Saying nobody it, goes to the gym. Well, not nobody, but the gym is mostly seen as like a... We, we go to the gym so that way we stay healthy. But also it's... There's there's the vanity aspect that comes with going into the gyms. Like you want to get swole, you want to look good. No, well, and sure. some some people need that person like Fletcher in a personal trainer. And I think kind of going with what Kenny was saying that for some people that's great, but there are a lot of other people, including people that were in his band, where he's doing a lot of harm to them because he is their teacher and he, they are trying to impress him. Because I feel like that's the problem where where he's almost like a master with a pet almost in that role where their sole job is not to play great music, but to impress him as their instructor. Can I ask a question? It's going to be kind of off of what we are talking about <laughs> at this moment, but I just really, before I forget it, um, what happened to the folder? Um, Fletcher <laughs> stole the folder Fletcher, for I just want to sure. know what everybody, mm, well, yeah. no, is that what everybody's saying? Yeah. I just, yeah. I, I don't know how he did it. He's a fucking magician. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. Okay. No, I was just curious. I mean, that's what I assume happened as well. But uh, yeah. I, I would hear argument Which for it, uh, Andrew took it himself, even though we don't see it. But we also don't see Fletcher do it, so that's why it's equally possible. Yeah, Tyler yeah. Durden I, moment. I, I feel like Fletcher did take it, and I feel like it's another answer to Toussaint in a question he had earlier about does he actually care about Andrew. I feel like he did because while he was doing things that – that it had any other student or musician done those things, Fletcher would have given them the boot right out of the band. Just would have would have pushed them verbally or physically until they left the room. While he knew that. Well, I think he hoped. I don't think he knew about anybody. I think he just does this in hopes that this. I guess you know, that's the thing about Andrew that Fletcher saw throughout the entire film was that no matter what he did to Andrew. It never turned Andrew away from it. Andrew still kept his eyes on the prize and still just used it as motivation. And that's why he, the entire duration of the movie, pushed him and pushed him and pushed him. Because he knew no matter what he did to him, it was just going to make him better. And that's well, why I feel like he definitely cared about Andrew. So you think it, at, the, at the end he truly was setting him to the, uh, to the Lincoln Center without the music because he was thinking that that's how Andrew would react, that he would come back. Because for me, I think it was honestly... Okay. He wanted to bury that kid. No, no, yeah. no. no. I, think, well, I, I agree with what you're saying. But. I think it's a win-win situation in the sense that he thinks right. one of two things is going right. to happen. Either he's going yep. to bury him, and he would be very satisfied by doing that because he does get off on personal anguish. 
Or, hey, if I don't, at least that means that he'll probably, you know, outshine and maybe there'll be something else I can instill in him. So I think and it's kind of a, he did it because he couldn't lose from that situation. Uh, you know. uh, I was going to bring up a different point, which is you don't see it with any other band members, although there are different levels of chairs in the other band members. The kind yeah. of weird triangle relationship between Andrew, the original band drummer, Carl Tanner, and the other, um, you know, lesser band, which Andrew was originally in, and the higher drummer in that band, whose name is Ryan, the three of them are eventually all in this other band. And basically, Fletcher has both of the other drummers there in a way to push Andrew, but I feel like that kind of gets part of the problem, which we've been talking about, where this is a music school. I love Johnny Utah. He's just such a happy guy. It's like, hey, man, what's up? Well, but, we, but, we... but he's using these two characters as pawns. Well, you say that because he says that, but he is kind of a psychotic person, so we can't take anything that he says as seriously. I mean, right. just, when he's t- and that's when he's trying to lull Andrew into coming back to the Lincoln Center so he can tear him down again, so he's going to tell him exactly what he wants to hear, so that way he'll fall into that trap. But I'm just saying... Talking about those characters, even though they are minor side characters, their sole purpose in Fletcher's world is to either tear down Andrew or to make him like he doesn't really care about their drumming. No, he, he brought care Ryan about in, Andrews either. right? So it's yeah, it's kind of a. Can we move off and just get go to more of a general thing that I wanted to bring up, which is the two performances, both by J.K. Simmons and Miles Teller. Yes. J.K. Simmons, I honestly, this is one of those films where I really couldn't even think about anybody else playing that role now. He's fantastic, and it's so great to see him return to such uh, villainous roots because he is amazing in the uh, the HBO series Oz that nobody ever talks about anymore, but is one of the most uh, formative television Well, shows. and he's known for his comedic kind of characters yeah. in like Juno or um, Thank You for Smoking or other films like that, playing minor fun funny characters he basically inhabited the role of j jonah jameson from the spider-man films like there's no other person that can play that and there's no other person that can play fletcher but at the same time he has gotten all of the talk about in this film he won all the awards that the acting categories went to he's the only person nominated he won the academy award for best supporting actor where miles teller who i also thought put on a great performance and he also did a lot of the actual drumming that you saw in the film because he was... That's why he was casted. I know, but I still feel like he did a great job and nobody ever mentioned how good of a job he did or even that he was good in the film. Because you don't have to have a lot of talent to be a punching bag. I mean, you just just have to take it. And in his case, the reason why Miles was casted was because they didn't have to start from scratch and actually teach him drumming because he went to, I think, school for drumming and the only thing he had to learn was... He didn't do jazz drumming, so he had to learn how to like hold the sticks differently. Hmm. But that's how he was able to keep it up. Um, but I think he was fine in this, but he's not a charismatic lead whatsoever. And he doesn't have to be, because that's why the film worked, because he just has to be a stand-in for, you know, like Kenny was saying, determination and, you know, that drive or whatever, which he can sell. But he's selling it because there are blood, sweat, and tears, and that's not acting. That's just prosthetics and props. Yeah. The only thing I would say to go... With what you just said, Nick, um, I, I I feel like he was, I thought his acting was pretty awesome in this movie. I mean, I, I didn't know until you just said it. Uh, I, I actually, and I tried to do a, a, a quick search for it after I, I watched it. I didn't know if he was a real drummer or not. And I was just simply going off, like I was impressed enough with him with this movie without knowing if he was a drummer or not. Now that I actually know he is a real drummer, mm-hmm. like. 
that that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but I, I thought his, his acting was on par enough without even knowing that he was a drummer. Well, then let me blow your mind even more. Did you know? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Did you know that the um, in the classroom scenes, you know, when they would do the practice and Fletcher would come in, you know, whatever, if uh, basically everybody in the band who wasn't a character, so just pretty much nobody, everybody who didn't have lines. Yeah, I think or, I think um, the other two drummers are actual actors. Right, they're actors and characters. Yeah. But everybody else uh, were, were not actors and they were not given scripts. So they truly had no idea, like, that how J.K. Simmons was going to be. So they were be. all just traditional mm-hmm. musicians. Exactly. And, then, and, and and a lot of their reaction shots in the film are all genuine. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not like a hidden camera thing or something mm-hmm. like that. But they, they were genuinely uh, watching J.K. Simmons do his thing without knowing what I, he was going to do I next. loved the scene when he was rotating the three drummers trying to hit the as fast as they possibly could. And he's just literally... Yeah. He just said... Everybody, go take five, take ten, twenty, take a shit. It's it's yeah. gonna be all late. Get night. a sandwich. I don't care. <laughs> that was, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorite. Where he's talking about, well, remember to get for your bus fare or not. I don't give a shit. But wait, wait <laughs> I want to break down that scene really quick because there's another indication that this is not good behavior. So, if you're going to try to create the the genius that is Andrew's future, you know, career or whatever, then you're going. You're going to do that at the expense of ruining everybody else's night? I mean, because these are presumably students who have to stay there for four hours now because of these well, three drummers. fuck them. <laughs> well, and, and another thing, I feel like... At it, what it, cost does it matter that somebody becomes great if you are going to destroy every single other I, person? I've spent... I spent... I one time, this is a true story, I spent two hours in a recording studio because I was trying to record my bass line for a song. And the bridge of the song, the very middle of it, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't get it right. And and the recording, the 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 guy, the the engineer that was in the room, who was working as our producer, he knew what it needed to sound like, and would not let me out of that room until I hit it. It's just the way it goes. No, yeah, in but I'm saying world, but you it, weren't costing other people as far as like. I mean, he's being paid. I would assume. Well, and, and maybe your bandmates or something. Like I, that. I guess I will kind of when when you go to the the kind of school they're at, it's not a traditional. We're here from eight to eight to ten. Be no. here for that time. They they're there as long as it takes. Usually, I think. Right. I mean, there's a set time. But, but Fletcher but, cannot be the only thing that they have on campus. I. I agree, but at the same time, I feel like it is different in terms of how their structure works. Then, like he's going to spend more time on a certain section of the band and one it, night than he does it's the not other like night. This was a trombone. It's the drum. It's the backbone of the song. If you can't get it right, you can't have the song. No, so. I know, but then why keep everybody else there? That's what I'm trying to say. He has no uh, regard for anybody as a human being. They're all just whatever he needs Replaceable them to be. Cogs. Right, and because. But you know why he kept them there? I'll tell you. It's because I'm pretty sure that added even more intimidation to the three drummers that have to stay there because then they have to play under that pressure of that they're keeping him there. So once again, he's using other human beings as pawns with no disregard to their mental state, to whatever else they have commitments to, or just to them as a, like a, to value them as a human You know human what that being. does, though? It's the old line of sleep on it. And, and, and I, you, I'm sure you've all done this before. You, 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 you try to learn something or... Do something for the first time. Hit a roadblock. You're struggling, hitting a roadblock. You sleep on it. The next day you come back and knock it right out. But that's not sleeping on it. That's like making them like beat their head but against the brick wall. when you get pushed to that point and you're at that extreme stress level and your hand's bleeding and you're, you're stressed because you can't hit it and you know you're not going to hit it because you didn't do it the first hundred times, 
You know what that does when you're relaxed? You hit it out of the park. You do it perfectly. You well, some people do. Some people would right cry and or say or, like. But that's the whole. It's how bad do you want it? If you don't want it bad enough, then that's gonna stop you. If well, you that doesn't that stop you, it's yeah. just gonna make you better when you come back. It. You Can know, I talk about you... the third like star of this film that we haven't mentioned yet? Like we all talk about J.K. Simmons and we all talk about Paul like Miles Reiser. Miles Teller's. Like no no no. I'm talking about Justin Hurwitz because for a movie that we're talking about like the grooming of like musical talent, we haven't actually like talked about the music and Justin Hurwitz like score. Like I had to look him up afterwards because it's so awesome and he's known like the director since like they were in college and it I I just I had to had to make a note of that. I'm sorry to like take off the momentum of that. I just like we have to like mention. Well, him. and because we, we were I was gonna go off more of the technical aspects of this film when we were talking about that scene with the three drummers. I mean that scene right there could have won the best editing achievement of the year. Just the way that it goes between the three drummers and going back to Fletcher and back to the three drummers and the kind of cuts in the camera work of that and just the editing cuts in that are just flawless for the most part. So does anybody else have anything to bring to the table? We've talked a lot about this film. We've talked about it over an hour now. Well, I guess I do want to ask Please. one last question. Okay. So I feel like all the opinions stated here are heavily dependent on what you think of that final scene. And I'm not saying we have to rehash that final scene, but I want to talk about what do you think happens after that final scene? So are you specifically Kenny? Are you under the impression that once that performance is basically over, that he has become both a uh, shall we say he has become a great musician, and he's still a good person? And I'm talking about Andrew, not Fletcher. Or do you see it more as a tragic story that Fletcher had to turn him into a monster t- in order to become great? Uh, no, so, or does no. Anybody I want to jump in. And... I, I I don't <laughs> I don't feel he became a monster because I, you know I, I I also didn't see that through the rest of the film quite to the level you guys saw it uh I, I think the only thing that changed after that scene would have been the fact that Andrew finally had that satisfaction of knowing he impressed Fletcher now whether anything actually came of it I don't know but if I, if I had to guess and this is just throwing a guess out there I would guess that Andrew and Fletcher worked together they only worked together. Like Fletcher pretty much stopped tutoring anybody else. It would spend his entire time working with Andrew after that scene because he, his, he, even in the, in the bar scene, he's describing that his, his pretty much sole purpose in being a music teacher was to find that one great person. And now he has, and he's created that one great person. Why even bother with all these trombone players that are just going to disappoint him. And he's just going to solely work only with Andrew after that scene. And I feel like, Andrew feels like he needs Fletcher to be that good of a drummer too. Okay, and if that happens, then will he? Um, I would say, would he become an even worse person now that he'll be even more? My, I wouldn't say worse person, but I, I think it's a pretty telling. With the final time we see Paul Reiser in this film, he's almost scared, looking through the crack in the two doors, seeing his one eye. Okay, and so now I want to get to one final point because you were saying earlier. Do you still think the film sends mixed messages? Then, if you what you just outlined to me is actually a pretty tragic ending, yeah, which would in no way condone that. This is I, I still feel the film as a whole sends that message, even though I say, I say mixed messages because I could see the other side of what you're talking about. So you think that the film in some ways like says this is what you should do to make somebody good? No, I don't think it's what you should do. I'm, well, I feel like the film says this is what 
this is what has to be done. Not that you should do it, but if you want to make someone great, you need to push them to somewhere where you, you a normal kind of everyday person would not want to go. Here's my takeaway from the ending. It's like projecting like what I think happened as soon as like the 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 end credits just like began to crawl and stuff, right? As soon as it like cut to black, right? I imagined um, a person in the crowd calling Blue Note Records mm-hmm. and Andrew getting a deal with Blue Note Records. Like that was the that was the thing that that, that fixed in my mind. It was like, and think going off of that, I was just like, holy crap! It's like, is that really what you have to do in order to to get to that extent? In order to to get to being that new Charlie Parker or being that new Andrew or anything like that? My question would be the scene with Paul Reiser looking through the door. Did you? Clearly, you took it away as him looking through almost scared. I took it as him looking through, realizing that the explosion Andrew had at the dinner table with the other two kids and the is that family or is that friends? Yeah, I think I think it was cousins. No, I thought it was no. I personally took it as like family friends. Okay, like you know the dad is friends with the couple and then but it but it's not necessarily clear exactly what they are. Okay, I I took Paul Reiser looking through the door in a state of realizing holy shit everything my son has been talking about actually is coming to fruition look at him go look at how great he is look at look at this but, but you but, have to remember that really quick mm-hmm. um paul reiser's character the father whose name i forget i don't know if it's actually mentioned but um he's the one that's sitting into uh in on the like the kind of i won't say boardroom but the what do you want to call that? The, it, was, it was the meeting between the, I don't know if she was a social worker, exactly what her... I think she works for the educational institution. Yeah. Yes, okay. So he's, he's sitting in on that meeting, and he literally is like almost shouting. He's saying, don't you think I would have put an end to this? That I would have, that there's nothing that I care more about you than I do about like your drumming or right. your music career. So for me, that scene, when you do see his reaction in the doorway, is that my son is choosing Fletcher over me, essentially, which is... You know, the humanity that I would hope to instill in him and the kind of awfulness that Fletcher is going to bring out of him. And that's what scares him is that Fletcher won in the end. I, I guess there were there were so many more points to be taken away from this than I had even realized. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I just simply took that as as a lot of parents will do with a kid who has a, a, a lofty goal of being a professional musician or athlete or things that don't seem like a normal obtainable job. They're they're not super supportive until you actually see your kid blossom and and show what he can actually do and in that very moment it was the first time in the film that he saw Andrew performing at that level and he just it was a holy crap look right. at him go it was it was one of those moments that that's how i took it but I also have to say this is totally going back to the uh, the dining room scene with the two Division Three football playing friends or cousins or whatever they were when they are pretty much challenging Andrew, saying that his drumming is not that big of a deal. And they say, well, why don't you come play with us one time? And he just says... Four seven. words. No, is, is it four words? Or four it? words come that will never... Come play with us. Yeah. Okay, four words you will never hear from the NFL. <sighs> I just... I, I loved it, but at the same time, that was, he yeah. He beat an asshole. Because, yes. unfortunately, while they're being lowbrow and a little, I would say, insensitive, yeah. they truly are not, like him, aware of the fact that I'm going to put him in his place when I say these words because that's what he was learning from Fletcher. But what's great about that scene, too, is it kind of goes, like, almost by in a second, but the dad puts an end to it. Mm-hmm. Because once it goes too far for even him to listen to, he said, and how is the... 
when, or when did the Lincoln Center call you? Because obviously they haven't or anything like that. Yeah. So he was once again trying to say, you know, don't have this confidence if you're not going to, you know, use it. Uh, See, we couldn't hear that when we tried to like rewind that. Like we. Oh yeah, no, that's what he said. I watched it with the subtitles. He said <laughs> something like, "Smart man." Have you heard from the Lincoln Center yet, or something like oh, that? Okay. Which was a very blatant reminder that you need to shut up because what you're doing is actually uh, like offensive and you're belittling other people. And a, that's not going to stand. Was in my it house. the was it the grandma or was it an aunt that was sitting at the table? Because she was like... Yeah, the aunt was trying to be like a peaceful she, she, No, she she was like, oh, looks like you're the, the, the head of like the new like like uh, student centers or whatever. It's like you, you're on the football team, and then there's Andrew. You're drumming. Yeah, you're drumming. Oh, that's just great. Kind of, and that's and just they, they call him drumming. Andy, Andy too. They're Andy, the only people who drumming. call him Andy, which I think is another point that he feels not disrespected, but they don't really Demandive. care about... Yeah. So do we want to go to a, uh, a rating on this? We want to give this an overall i even though we have had a lively debate about this film i feel like it's a film that does that even though i don't agree with things necessarily and i guess i'll just give my rating first since i'm talking about going into it i gave this a four out of five i still think this is a terrific film Mm -hmm. even though i have things about it that i don't agree with and i don't necessarily think are you know, the best message given away from that that doesn't mean that i can't see this film for what it is is a terrific thematic achievement and I, I just really i haven't talked to anybody who said that they like ultimately hated this movie or anything like that i feel like lots almost everyone i've heard from said they enjoyed it and i very thoroughly did so and nick what did a, you don't talk to them anymore oh well i'm not that rude come on <gasps> you're not gonna become andrew i don't i was just gonna say i don't want to become andrew someday nick what did you think about this movie i love this film i I get passionate about it when I talk about it because I just want to bounce these ideas of what I think the movie's pushing versus what other people think it's pushing. But overall, this is a terrific film that uh, has, in my opinion, one amazing performance, another one that's okay and certainly serves the film. Uh, but um, and that's probably actually what would have given me a better rating because I would give it four out of five stars as well. Uh, what holds it back for me is simply the fact that I don't think Miles Teller is a charismatic young man, at least charismatic enough to carry something like this. Um, but J.K. Simmons is just chewing it, the scenery the fuck up this whole time, and it is just great to see. So uh, overall, I absolutely loved it, and I feel like you're going to walk away from this with a very strong reaction. And yes, there are bad films that do that, but for the most part, if you're... if if you can have these kind of conversations afterwards, which I feel like most people will want to, uh, it's, speak, it's a sign of a great film. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I definitely recommend it. So Tucson, what about you? What would you give as a rating for this film? Oh, if I could give this... Are we going off of half scores? We're going off half scores? Okay. Um, I'd have to go with a, a four and a half out of five. Okay. I really love this film. Like, for all the things that we've talked about it, like the, the acting between J.K. Simmons and uh, Miles, um, Miles Teller, and I, I I just think that outside of like the everything that's eclipsed by their performance, like taking that that away, it's just such a well constructed film. Like the things that I talked about before with the lighting and with the sound design and with like the score, it's just like it all just comes together. It's a very lean film. Like it's, yeah, that's another thing about it. there's only it's only like an hour and forty five yeah. minute runtime. It's not too long. It feels like it's stuffed too much. Nothing in. Nothing feels excessive. It all feels like utilitarian. It all works the way it's supposed to work, and I love that about it. Yeah, it's not flashy at all. No. Very good. And Kenny, what about you? What did I? You have talked about very much enjoying this film, so I'm guessing you gave it a good score as well. Yeah, uh, this movie, for me, gets an overwhelming go-see-it, a perfect 5 out of 5. 
you know what that it, means. It, it's our first it, entrant it's our, ever. It's our first yay. Yeah. Yay. You first... want to explain to the listeners yeah, what our lists are? We're going to have two lists, and you can find them on our website, filmtankshow.com. And uh, basically, they're lists that either are A, a hit, which is the hit list, or B, the shit, which is the shit list. Um, if a hit list, it should be pretty self-explanatory if all of the hosts give it a yay and say, you should go see this, we recommend this film, we liked it, definitely getting praise being a hit. And if we all hate a film and we all think it's terrible and we all don't like it, we all wouldn't want to see it again, it'll be on the shit list. So that's what that is. And the and Whiplash is the first entrant on any of the lists. It'll be on the hit list. Yay. Yay. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, terrific film. Go ahead, Kenny. This film struck a nerve with me for whatever reason, whether it be my musical background, whether it be I'm always... I'm always looking for new sources of inspiration in mm-hmm. life, in which, in this case, I, I, I get to feel you guys didn't necessarily see it the way I saw it, but Fletcher, to me, was, uh, you know, very... Kind of sparked that. Yeah, very yeah. inspiring in, in many different ways, uh, not just a mu- musical way, but just in, in all forms of whatever you want to do in life. But not only was it inspiring, but I, I saw a little bit of myself and Andrew, you know, it just, it just kind of brought back mm. some of my, my days of being a, a musician who was trying to get as far as I could. And, you know, I, I don't know. This was a great movie. It was all around great movie. I, yeah. I think, I think that what you kind of said, Kenny about Fletcher. And I think that's something we, by we, I say my, myself, Nick and Dusant, we didn't really talk about too much, but Fletcher is definitely a difficult character to get a full read on. Yes, he is this horrible person. At least I think he is. He's treating these people in the, you know, these people who are in their late teens, early twenties and basically giving them a slap in the face of reality. If you don't work hard enough and you aren't good enough, then you are not going to be a part of the musical universe but that the I live in. Justify the means. And that's kind of what I was saying that like, it's, I can't justify his behavior is something I would say was, was good but at the same time he is a very complex character and he's not just an easy uh character you could see on the surface he's well, a very complex character the, at least the, to me the beauty of that character is you could take it many ways as yeah. you took it totally different than i took it so yeah mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to see him in many different ways so yeah uh, if you haven't seen whiplash i think we probably described the entire film for you so but still go see it oh man i would go see it and if you have seen it go see it again it's it's definitely a film that i could watch multiple times in a short if it was on hbo and in the rotation i'd be caught watching it every time <laughs> yeah. i'm not kidding it it's teetering on being one of my all-time favorites so it's it's right up there with some of the best i've seen high praise from kenny marcellus and from all of us too we all loved it loved it so Mm -hmm. we can all see that i would think absolutely so we all watched whiplash this last week interested what everybody else was um doing this week as we do our week in review of everyone's viewing um week that they had nick i know you watched a lot of movies this past week um (laughs) what one would you like to tell us about or what ones what Um, films would you like to tell us about i watched a lot of movies or tv shows too because we we don't we like to talk about all kinds of media and whatever funny that you bring that up because (laughs) today i only want to talk about one thing which is a thing that aired on the television okay (laughs) and um it came on on Sunday night called as a new show called The Last Man on Earth, and mm-hmm. it stars Will Forte, who uh, is getting, uh, obviously, used from SNL and uh, the Oscar-nominated Nebraska. Yes. And uh, it stars him as 
quite literally the last man left on the uh, planet Earth because uh, a very unspecified virus has wiped out the entire humanity. And it's a half-hour sitcom, so hopefully at least. Uh, we're never going to get an explanation as to why this happened, how he survived, because it is just a springboard for a very, very, very funny show about a man trying to keep his, his uh, sanity being the last person on Earth. Now, I will admit, uh, without spoiling too much, the end of the pilot episode, which is one of the best comedy pilots I've seen uh, in quite some time, which is very high praise because I watch a lot of TV, and most comedy pilots pretty much suck because it is so hard to carve out a niche and a tone uh, for comedy. Like, dramas have a little easier time because you already have stakes, but when you don't know a, a show's you know, brand of humor and whatnot and they're trying to set it all up, it can be very hard to take, but this is this was funny from the very first scene, and it kept going, and it only got funnier as it went on. Um, so I will say this, that if you're wondering how a show can sustain itself uh, with just one character, because it is committed to that, by the way. It is not like a cop-out of him going around going, oh, hey, Fred from you know HR, you're still alive. This isn't some like Truman Show fake-out, is it? No, 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 it's not a fake-out. Okay. Um, until, until it is. No, the... <laughs> Uh, so what ends up happening is at the very end of the first episode, they basically set up the quote-unquote real show. I'm, there's not going to be a fake-out uh, if you go to watch it. However, there is a twist to this uh, format. And basically, the last moments of the first episode will definitely change, uh, shall you say, the data, you know, like the show going forward. Mm -hmm. And it's for the better because you can't simply just have one person never talking to another single person person but it doesn't cop out as far as like it doesn't all of a sudden just start making people like let's just say this you could see flashbacks you could see dream sequences you could so i'm just saying there's but the first episode is so amazing in my opinion because it truly is for 19 minutes just will forte walking around uh talking to god and talking to himself and what's like that one scene from castaway only made into a show uh actually that's literally true because there is a joke in which he uh there's no electricity or running water by the way because yeah. nobody's there obviously to man it so at one point he hooks a generator this is just an example of a joke i just want to say um he hooks up a generator up to his tv so that he can watch castaway <laughs> and while he's watching it he's watching the scene with the volleyball and then he's just talking to it in his wonderfully uh, uh nerdy will forte uh, but it's like weirdly desperate way where he's just basically yelling at the TV because he's like, they got it all wrong. He would never talk to a volleyball. Right. Cut to, he's in a room full of like over 20 different balls with 20 different faces painted on and he's talking to every single one of them because that's how far he's been driven crazy. Yeah, it sounds more like, a, <laughs> yes. Wilson! Exactly. Yeah, Um. it sounds a lot, I mean, it sounds like comedy and it sounds like it's well done, which this film I didn't find, but sounds a lot more like I am legend than any, even though he had a dog as a companion. Saving that no, bacon. That is one of the <laughs> that is one of the only potholes of the show is I'm wondering there there are no animals on the show, so I I, I wanna know if there's gonna be a dog that pops Did up. Did you say what network this was on? This is yes, that's a good question. It is on the Fox network. It, is Fox. it comes on, on Sunday. But the the other reason why I'm bringing it up is they will be re airing the first two episodes uh this Saturday, I believe. Awesome. So, uh, hopefully our episode will be out before Saturday. I assume it will be. It better be or something went horribly wrong. <laughs> and that would be Alice's fault. Uh, so, yeah, to wrap up my thoughts on Last Man on Earth, this is one of the most original. I've truly never seen anything on TV like it, and that always excites me. But besides the fact that it does something new, it does it so freaking well that I watched this. I watched the first hour of the show, you know, the first two episodes that aired back-to-back, -back, 
And then I rewatched it immediately again that same night with my parents because I just had to show somebody else and even they were cracking up hysterically. So when you have a show that appeals, I would say, to every kind of television viewer, you have something special. And one last little point is um, I'm also thankful that the show, despite the fact that it is a sitcom, there are some little tiny touches of actual human uh, pathos because the show never shies away from just how sad, obviously, this situation would be. So it is just right now nailing a tone uh, that I've never quite seen in a way I've never quite seen and doing it so well that most shows wish that they could achieve by like a fourth or fifth season. So Strong words of praise from Nick Cheney. That's yeah. right. All right, Toussaint, what, uh, what did you view and uh, give your review for this week? Okay, what did I view this past week? Per your recommendation, Alex, I watched Killing Them Softly. Great film. That it is was, a great film. It was a great film, yes. And I also watched, of course, over the course of the past four days, over the, the weekend, I watched the third season of House of Cards. Oh, okay. The entire season? The entire season. Boom. How many, was it 12 episodes? It's or? 13. 13 episodes. 13 episodes. And it's an hour show, right? It's uh, it's just short of an hour, like 44 minutes or something. That's like that. a lot of viewing. I know. it's. A lot. I'm sure you weren't the only person. I'm sure there are lots of people who watch the entire show in one day. Some, so Yeah, some went for one, oh, one day. That's kind of terrifying. Hey, I did that with uh, the four seasons of Arrested Development. Holy but thankfully, shit, <laughs> Well, no, but that's a half-hour show. Okay, so it's yeah. Not quite, but it was still like probably I'm a good currently day. in the process of doing that with Parenthood. Watching the entire thing, like yeah. all six seasons it's or whatever. It's a great show, by the way. But uh, what I what I took away from from this season, like if I could sum up the the series as it is now, like the first two seasons of House of Cards were all about Congressman Frank Underwood, like building his his House of Cards, so to speak, his mm-hmm. his easily toppable conspiracy in order to elevate him to such ludicrous heights of like power and influence. And the third season is all about him keeping it from falling down. And I thought that was uh, that was a very interesting twist because he could have been, uh, he could have been prisoner of space or some other bullshit. But... I feel like for me that show, even though I've never watched an episode, I've always been extremely interested in it, and not just because I've heard it's a good show, which I've heard great things about it. I feel like that was a big part of the change in the way that television is going to be produced. Yeah, from this point on, where Absolutely. that that format that Netflix has right now is going to be duplicated on more mediums down the road. It, it's going to almost, I think, become the norm. No, I mean, it already has. It's part community. of the reason why Community is on Yahoo. I was just about but, to say, it's yeah. returning uh, in a couple of weeks. But the, uh, but the reason I always feel like I want to watch that show is I feel like that was the first like toe in the water, uh, people going to go for this, and all the way, that's 100% been a yes. Um, and I've always been interested, and I also love Kevin Spacey. So it functions like a like a thirteen hour movie. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no cliffhangers. There's there's cliffhangers, but they're not like traditional cliffhangers. Like you're gonna have to wait until next week to find right. out. It's like you can just press the button, which I feel like for me that's great because that whole although it gives people a chance to talk about it like a show like breaking bad or mad men water cooler shows yeah where people wanted to talk about them the day after and they wanted to talk about it leading up to the next episode at the same time you want to find out the next you don't if you're reading a book and you read a really good chapter Mm -hmm. you don't want to have to set it down for a week and then finish that next chapter a week later so it's interesting and i feel like it's you know it was groundbreaking at the time it started a few years ago and now it's just commonplace Go ahead, Kenny. What was uh, your week in review? So 
I watched a film from 1997 that I am probably way more excited about than I should be <laughs> by the name of Con Air. <laughs> Classic. Uh, you were very excited. You were texting us and yeah, wanting, wanting to change yeah, the episode. Yeah, I, I was group texting live during this movie. Not, maybe not quite live. Can but. I cut in really quickly because that's what I'm best at on this show, obviously. You are. Um, <laughs> that film gets so real with the Steve Buscemi scene at the table. Oh my God, that was crazy. You've never seen Con Air? No, I have not. Ever okay. Ever seen Con Air. Have you? Have you? Tucson, have you seen Con Air? So you're talking about the scene with the little girl? Yes. Yeah. Ooh. It gets real in a very Ooh. weird and creepy way. Yeah, so. it does. That's gonna be my next film that I guess I watch now. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, well, if you haven't seen it, it's. I mean, Nick Cage plays a a, a prisoner who is being released. It's his daughter's birthday. And Memphis only... Rain. Is that his name? <laughs> no, no, no. His name is. Yeah, oh, it's not easy. Another Nick Cage movie. I yeah. love probably way more than I should, but it's easy to get his names and movies mixed up. But... So, so he is being released from prison. It's his daughter's birthday, and the only thing he's got on his mind is is getting home. He's, he's never met his daughter. He's been in prison his entire life for for killing a man in the beginning of the movie. But anyway. He he gets put on this this prisoner transport plane and and essentially what happens is the prisoners take over the plane. It's 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 ridiculous. It's it's a it's absurd. It's obnoxious. It's over the top. But the the prisoners who take over the plane are led by John Malkovich. By well, the way, <laughs> on a scale of airplane to snakes on a plane, how ludicrous is this film? I have not seen snakes film? on a plane, but what? No, I haven't. But if you're telling me, I have to to. Oh, you really don't, but you do. <laughs> you kind of do, but well, you don't. My point with this movie, and I guess part of why I liked it so much, the cast is outstanding. I mean, as as Alex just said, John Malkovich, Ving Rhames is in this movie. Dave Chappelle, for God's sake, is in this movie. Uh, Steve Buscemi, Danny Trejo, John Cusack, Monica Potter, Nicolas Cage. I this mean, is I, the weirdest cast I've ever it, heard of in my entire bizarre, life. It's bizarre, but it's it's very strong, and it's so over the top. It's such a, it's such a ridiculous action movie. Dave Chappelle, if I'm right, doesn't he play like kind of a like the side character to John Malkovich, and it's right. so bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he, he kind of listen, tried, John. He, he he tries to to yeah. He tries to kind of kiss his ass a little bit, and because John Malkovich is kind of running the show with this whole prisoner takeover, and 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 yeah, he he basically he sees Nick or uh, Dave Chappelle as, as nothing more than just a a pawn in his in his whole scheme that he's running here, but. Mm. Um, yeah, just awesome cast. It's got some good humor. It's one of the few Nick Cage movies that's actually bearable. As much as I, I hate to say that, I used to be a big Nick Cage fan, but the the older I get, the more just well, he used to do quality horrible, work back in the day. Horrible, yeah. he is like Wicker Man. He's Ooh, horrible. Don't go there. That's my least favorite movie of all time. <laughs> One of one of the one of the more recent movies that I've seen with Nick Cage that I actually really enjoyed was called Numbers. Has anybody? I've heard of that. I've heard of that, but, but nobody's seen it. I've never heard of that. It's a pretty good movie, but that's the last. I mean, I pretty much gave up on him around well, he Ghost just, Rider. He was supposedly, I never saw the film, but last year he was in a film but directed by David Gordon Green, who's a, he knows what he's doing. He's a good director and writer, and uh, he was in a, his film called Joe, uh, about an, uh, uh, actually a person. Which is on Netflix, by the way, if you want to see it. It is, so I, I, without having seen it, I've been meaning to see it. I've heard a lot of good things, and apparently it's supposed to be kind of a, uh, a step in the right direction to kind of retap it to what 
Nicolas Cage used to do. I thought you were going to say he was great in the film Left Behind last year. Oh, fuck <laughs> no, no, you. No. Shut up. <laughs> Which, for you, pretty much unanimously, was thought of as the worst movie from last year. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, as somebody who constantly is trying to find a reason to enjoy Nicolas Cage, I don't know why, but... I, Fighting I the good I, fight. I, I guess I'll check that. Out. Joe, it's called Joe. It's called Joe. It's uh. He, is it just, about coffee or is it? No, no. He's uh like from what I heard, he's a a just released from prison, just like uh, <laughs> Con Air, but it's more of a drama, not an action film. Uh, who meets up with like a sixteen year old? I don't know if he's like a trouble teen or something, and they kind of enter into like a mentor relationship, mentoree, and kind of I don't know if it. I think the drama comes from whether this took corrupt a, him or influence him for good. That just took a, like a hard right turn away from like entering hard candy territory. I thought you were going to talk about hard candy for a second. Sorry, no, it's, it had nothing to do with pedophilia. Okay. Well, and the I think the other kid or the other main person in the film Joe is Ty Sheridan, who was in the film Mud. That's another great film that was also on Netflix with Matthew McConaughey. So. Ooh. That's a perfect transition. I, I was just going to change up gears here and say, on the note of watching good movies, uh, I watched uh, Dallas Buyers Club, actually, this past week. I had never seen it before. You want to talk about a downer? Holy cow. <laughs> wow. It's a good movie, though. Very good movie. Yeah, that he, was... he contracts AIDS and he spends the entire movie, well, he, he tries to better himself at first, but then starts to kind of take on the role of somebody who's trying to better everybody's life that has AIDS and I think yeah. I think the part for me from that film that blew me away was that Jared Leto who had pretty much spent his entire acting career playing these kind of side or quirky or characters did a real ass job in a role that was not everybody could have pulled off. So I thought he was great in that film and he won the Academy Award for it. And I'm sure he'll have more roles down the road, but I, I told you in a text, I had forgotten he was even in this movie. No. Oh, okay. It took my wife pointing out the fact that that was him playing that character. And I went, Whoa, totally thought that was a woman at first, right? Yeah. <laughs> totally well, thought that was Jesus at first. <laughs> so yeah, Dallas, Dallas buyers club, Great movie. Um, other than that, as a group, we watched Lucy. I yes, say, we did. Don't waste your time. Just watch. Oh, Limit. Uh-oh. Just, just watch. Oh, just hold on. Just, just, just watch Limitless. So I actually totally movie. agree with you, but I know one member of our team who would not think that. Oh, and uh, who would that be? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't speak for Limitless because I haven't seen it. But great even, movie. Even without seeing Limitless, I feel like they have two different purposes. I think Limitless yeah, was trying to be a. I would say a, not thought-provoking, but like a, oh, uh, quote-unquote, I want to say realistic portrayal of somebody getting the, you know, smarter intelligence. As opposed to Lucy, which was Lucy just, just crawls up its own ass with that metaphysical, <laughs> what-the-bleep-do-we-know, like meta, just, meta-contextual, like hypothetical that, bullshit science. Yeah, yeah, but, I, I love how Toussaint just um, censored himself, even though this is an uncensored yeah, show. No, yeah. no, there's literally a film called What the Bleep Do We Know that's talking oh, about the no, metaphysics. I, I was just going to say Lucy was just fucking stupid. It was just <laughs> right, a terrible I, movie. I mean, I think it's stupid, but I feel like that's actually why the film succeeds, because it takes his stupidity and it does... It commits pretty, to it. it. Yeah, it commits to it, and it <laughs> because it is stupid, it gets to do whatever the fuck it wants, and therefore we get some great scenes out of it, like that's, the whole last ten minutes when the film 
basically forgets that it's an action film, which it really isn't, but it kind of builds itself as. Mm-hmm. And it completely sidesteps that for the like stoner version of a Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. I mean, it's just the most out there and unconventional ending to a mainstream film I've seen in quite some time. I'll agree with I I do like the last 10 minutes of that film, but as a whole, I'm, I, I think it's okay. Just watch Limitless. Yeah. So much better. I'd probably say I'd like Limitless more. Yeah. So. Um, so this week I watched uh, a film that's definitely critically acclaimed for the first time, the 2013 film Her, which is a great film done by Spike Jones, starring Joaquin Phoenix and also Scarlett Johansson as the voice of the CPU that he, uh, as Joaquin Phoenix, his character becomes in a relationship with her and she has a name. Her name is Samantha. And I know you, Nick, and Toussaint have seen it and both like it a lot. Yeah. And yeah, I just was totally um, 100% for this movie and liked almost everything about it because the idea of a human having a relationship with a computer, which I thought this was going to be panned by everybody in the film, where it's just totally not the way that it goes. There are that this becomes almost a normal thing for the rest of the world in this film is you crazy. You thought it was gonna be Simone, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> I totally did. And you know what? I don't the, think anybody the, else thought it was going to be Simone. Okay, but the, the marketing for the film and the the decisions that they made for the clips they put in the trailer would make you lead to think that most people do not like that he's in a relationship with a computer and almost is it's a thing that they don't want to talk about. They don't want to acknowledge it where in the film, as the film goes on pretty much most people in society are having relationship with these computer generated AI people. And it's, it, it's, it, I'll, I'll say this. It's very original. It's and like, I thought it was a great I'm, film. I'm almost, uh, sorry. I, I was to say, I'm almost ashamed of the fact that I haven't seen this yet. Mm-hmm. When, when it came out, I was, beyond intrigued about this movie mostly because it hits uncomfortably close to what society as a whole is getting to mm-hmm. where it's a story about love in the post-millennial world and it's right. talking about computer mediated communication essentially about like how our relationships and our uses and gratifications of technology can create so many different like what, what, what's the term that I'm looking for? It can create so many different degrees of separation, whereas, like, it's, it's so interesting. Well, you, you take a look around in public nowadays. You go somewhere where there are large amounts of people, and you, if, you, if you just sit back and you, you observe people the way watch. people act and, and communicate with each other, there's almost an art form to communication that people are losing because of their relationship with their phones. Absolutely. And so that's why this movie intrigued me so much but if well the the one thing of this film that i always take away is there are multiple times where he is having a conversation with samantha who is the computer that he is in a relationship with or i'm sorry the os the operating system yeah. that he's in a relationship with same to yeah pretty no, much he's not in love with a machine no i'm, I'm just saying he's in, he's in a relationship with him right. and he is in, oh, in, later in the film in love with this artificial intelligent being that is not a real person that is a computer for the most part that i remember when i was you know the first time i saw somebody talking into a earpiece 
and they were basically talking to themselves. So I was like, what the fuck is that guy so mad about? Why is he yelling at the world? Like, you just think he's some crazy person or he's one of the people you would see on the street somewhere. But, oh, he's actually just talking on the phone. He has an earpiece in. In this film, almost everybody towards the end of the film walks around every day talking, looking like they're talking to themselves. Walking because around in their waist-high, like, bell-bottom, like, plaid pants that are so weird there was that, that was another thing about this film because it clearly is set in a somewhat future. future and there are weird things about like nobody wears belts in the film <laughs> no which is so bizarre it just makes but it's one of those it, things bizarre but it actually gives the world character as if it's mm-hmm. like its own breathing thing and it's almost like spike jones didn't think of this he somehow you know dropped in on this world observed it and then all of a sudden reported it back to us well yeah. and it's one of those things where if you would have said you know, fit 20 years ago. Oh, yoga pants are going to be a huge thing for girls. I'm sure a lot of people are like, what? why the fuck would they wear those? And maybe 20 years from now, why the fuck would people wear belts anymore? That's out of style. Why would you wear belts? So it totally does make sense. And I feel like it is a great, you know, representation of an actual future, what it could be and what it could lead to. And, um, yeah, it, it definitely feels a lot closer to reality than it's kind of scary because it feels a lot closer to reality than I feel like it should. It's so. plausible and it's also almost um, indistinguishable from ways that ways that relationships are now. Yeah. yeah. So it, I would I would recommend anybody go see it. It's a it's a great film and I would uh, go check it out if I were anybody who hasn't seen it or you probably I would want to watch it again. So let me ask you this about it. Yeah. Um, does does this movie come across as uh, it seems to me like a like a risk that you would take as a filmmaker in the sense that what if as a culture we kind of reject the whole the way we are with our phones nowadays uh, you know like you said in 20 years from now how is this movie going to age like do you do you see this being something that um, I see it aging very well, actually. Do you? Yeah. Well, even if it doesn't, and for some weird reason, which I can't imagine is going to happen, that we somehow stop using cell phones, and I, if anything, we're going to become more dependent on this stuff, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the reason why it works is because it's a brilliant reflection of the way things were today, and that's why we watch movies of yesterday and whatnot, because if they're good enough... Uh, at doing that then it, it takes us back to a time that we couldn't possibly either remember like if we were born during then uh, and it's you know it explores how we were living at that point even if it's set in the future it's more of a comment on today here's my definition of a classic of a, of a classic of anything like a, a classic piece of fiction or a classic movie a, a classic is unmistakably a product of its time but it speaks to all times like it, tap, it taps into a core story that can be reiterated over many, many times. And no matter whether you hear about Romeo and Juliet in in in, in its original time or hearing about it in like a, a modern recontextualization like with, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, it's still the same core story and it still hits the same beats and you still take away the same... So what you're saying is, well, he's in love with his computer, but it's still the same love story. Yeah, Here, here's the thing. And I think that, I mean, I guess this is kind of not really a spoiler about the film but he has a lot of the same relationship woes with the operating system samantha that people do in normal relationships he starts to see jealousy and 
sexual problems and that kind of thing. You laugh at it, but it's a real no, thing I, in the film. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to see it. Because like I said, I, I've already wanted to see it. It's done I'm, very, very One of well. the central themes of their relationship and therefore the movie is just the way people outgrow each other, which is a very real thing that happens in relationships. And this is just the, uh, the technical depiction of that. Yeah, it's a great film. And I would, again, you know, implore anybody to go see it. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the uh, show. If you found us on our uh, website, filmtankshow.com, thank you very much for listening there. If you'd like to download our show and listen to it on your iPod or your phone or whatever, you can go to the iTunes Music Store or go to Stitcher Radio and search for uh, Film Tank on there. And uh, we'll also have show notes in there that can give you to certain parts of the podcast if you only want to listen to certain parts or you want to jump around a little bit. And uh, also, you can rate and review us on iTunes and also on Stitcher, so we'd love it if you did that. And also, we'd love it if you uh, wanted to send us an email, if you have an upcoming review that you'd like to talk about, which our next film we're going to talk about on Film Tank is the newly released, coming out this weekend film from director Neil Blumkamp called Chappie. 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 Yeah, anyways. Um, we'll have probably have some interesting um, views. I don't think we'll all agree on it being a great film, but maybe it will. I, I no one's seen it yet, so could surprise us. We're going to talk about that next week. And if you have some viewpoints on that or any other film, if you you know have anything to bring on Whiplash, it was a highly debated topic on today's show. Please send us an email. Tell us how wrong we are. Yes, and and if you want to tell us we're wrong and tell us why, we'd love to hear it and we'd love to talk about it on the next show. So send us an email at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at filmtankshow. So from Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, Kenny Marsalis, and myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much to listening to Film Tank, and we will catch you next time. (laughs) 